Here's the million dollar question. How do men like us reach our full potential and grow into the men we dream of being while taking care of our responsibilities, working, being good husbands, fathers, and still take care of ourselves? That's the question, and this podcast will help you with those answers. My name is Brent, and welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast. Guys, welcome to the Fallible Man Podcast, your home for all things man, husband, and father. And today, do we have a show for you? Guys, normally I steer away some from some politics. So if you're sensitive to that thing, listen up anyways, because this is all about what, how you can make a huge difference in the world, guys. I have my special guest today, Gene Valentino. He's going to join us. Gene has an incredible career that I'm going to let you tell him tell you more about as we go forward in the show. But one of the things he likes to talk is politics as well. So Gene, welcome to the Fallible Man podcast. Hey, thank you, Brent. Thanks for having me. Gene, I was really excited when I was getting ready for the show because I went to your website and you've got a beautiful website. I'll, I'll start with that because I'm a little jealous now. I, I got <laughs> my game. That is a pretty beautiful website. And I went to your website and one of the first things I saw, I love this right here <laughs> at the beginning is this lovely video from Home Free of God Bless the USA, their cover on that. And I absolutely, I'm a home free fan. I I think they're tremendously talented, but I grew up listening to Lee Greenwood's God bless the USA. Yeah. Lee Lee Greenwood is an absolute hero of mine. He has captured the spirit of Americana. And to me is the current generation of what uh, a good Patriot is all about. It's, it's touching. It brings a tear to your eye. It reminds us about where we've come from and hopefully where we're going. It's probably something you're going to want to talk about today. I'm very uh, happy to be here with you. I'm down here in Pensacola, Florida. You're up in Washington State. Wow. Today's technology. We couldn't have done this a few years ago. Isn't it amazing? I'm kind of caught in the middle. I'm a tech guy anyway. My nine to five job is in the IT industry as well as being a YouTuber and I have a love-hate relationship because I love some of the things that technology has brought us. I also hate some of the things that technology has done to us as people. Yeah, it's Um, a blessing. It's a curse. And um, it's part of how we uh, morph into a new generation of lifestyle, which involves a new generation of technology and a new culture, uh, a new ethics, morals, and standards that we're going to have to adopt to make sure we don't abuse that new technology in the new environment. And that's more of the conversation we can have. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you on here today. So before we get into it very far, I ask all my guests to introduce themselves and my regular listeners know why, but if you're new to the show, I get to research all my guests before they ever come on. So I understand a lot about them, but I can read you all of their accolades and it really doesn't mean a whole lot. I'd rather have you hear it from my guests. So as a practice, Gene, tell us who Gene Valentino is. Oh, golly. Oh, golly. Uh, The short version is the culmination of a lot of hard work resulting in the vessel of freedom. Behind me is a 30-foot vessel of freedom, which represents to me the culmination of years of hard work. And I started off as a paper boy and I mowed lawns. I was the oldest of four kids. And at that time, we weren't, we were poor. My family was not uh, rich at all. And we, I contributed my paper route money and my lawn mowing money 
to uh, help fund, help my mom and dad with the three siblings of mine that were younger than me. And jumping ahead, I ended up doing some work in New York as an actor to pay real quick money as an actor to TV commercials and things to put me through four years of college. After college, I thought I was going down a path of journalism and realized real quick that journalism, it was a high standard that had no regulatory authority around it to govern whether you were a good journalist or a bad journalist, all labeled under the guise of free speech and the right right to self uh, free expression, the First Amendment. Uh, I saw so much hypocrisy in terms of the way the journalists were conveying the news and the facts the, to, to the American citizens. I remember Eric Severide. I remember Walter Cronkite in the early days of uh, broadcasting. Del Sharbot, some of the old names that my father would know, but most people today wouldn't know. That was a standard. I remember 60 Minutes on Sunday evening when the family gathered around the TV to watch the, the, new, the Week in Review and whatever the hot story was of the week, 60 Minutes at the time, morphed into something else over the decades. But to answer your questions, I graduated from the University of Connecticut with a degree in business and um, minor in journalism and realized TV wasn't really my thing at the time. Ended up getting involved in a few different business. We had a cellular telephone company. I won in a lottery called Cellular One. The name's gone by the wayside in the process of mergers and acquisitions two decades ago. The technology was morphing nationwide, worldwide from analog uh, analog data transmission to digital, <clears throat> both in terms of data, audio and video in all aspects. And then technology was growing with respect to the computer. The old uh, computer from 20 years ago, it, it couldn't hold a candle to what you have is smaller than the size of a toaster today. The aircraft behind me has, um, has uh, uh, equipment in it that is now available on commercial airlines. But 20 years ago, it wasn't available at all in this class of aircraft. So it's just the genesis of how life's gone on. And to continue, I was a county commissioner here in the Scambia County, Florida area for two terms while owning a company that was like, uh, we called ourselves Collector Solutions. <laughs> Bad name, but we weren't a collection agency. We were the collector's solution. So for counties, tax collectors, uh, other governing authorities that had large billing, centralized billing bases. We were the collector's solution for the payments made by you, the taxpayer, you, the utility service provider, a user, and sold the company, merged it in with a publicly traded company called uh, JetPay. And then we merged JetPay into a small company called National Cash Register, a corp, NCR, and uh, and then I decided I'm going to take a powder and retire and get my vessel of freedom. Kenny Chesney's got a song entitled Boats. I'd encourage the audience to listen to the song Boats by Kenny Chesney. And um, in it, he talks about his vessel of freedom, his life journey. And he finally went out and got the vessel of freedom. And behind me is my vessel of freedom. When the show's over, we're going to get in. My wife and I are going to get in that and take a little spin here along the Gulf Coast of Florida. That's most of it. 
I, let me say I'm envious after uh, being a former resident of the Gulf Coast. So we met through David uh, Pascalone. And I don't know what David told you, but I was actually stationed at Fort Walton Beach. Oh, so, you were? Yeah. So I'm very familiar with where you guys are at. I was looking at some pictures when I was talking to David before of him. And I don't know if he was talking to you. He was talking with somebody smoking cigars on a beautiful patio overlooking the Gulf. And I was so envious. I was like, oh, that's how I want to do my show right there. That needs to be my studio. <laughs> Brent, you have an open invitation to do a remote broadcast here in Pensacola, Florida. We'll puff a cigar together, pretend we're important, look out at the water. <laughs> I don't even have to pretend I'm important. You want to talk about. <laughs> I don't even care if I pretend I'm important. I just want to sit on the beautiful sunny Gulf Coast and uh, smoke a cigar, man. I love a good cigar. So I was looking at it just going, ah, my backyard doesn't quite look like that. It just is you know, not funny quite story, the same. You, you mentioned that I came down from Connecticut mm -hmm. about 30 years ago, auditing the books of a contractor that was building that cellular operation we talked about in California. And I remember coming home one night on a stormy, snowy night and landing in Hartford, Connecticut. Plane almost crashed. A 45, 50 minute drive home ended up being about three hours because of the snow. I get home at 11 o'clock at night. My wife's waiting up for me. We're having a very late dinner. The governor comes on the 11 o'clock news and announces the new state income tax. I slam my hand down on the table and I said, that's it. I'm out of here. <laughs> and my wife says, what are you doing? You're leaving me? No, I'm not leaving. You're coming with me. Where are we going? This place called Florida. We better check it out. <laughs> that was 30 years ago. <laughs> my, my wife was really okay with the concept of it. It took a couple of weeks for her to, we were engaged at the time. I proposed to her actually in, Fort, in Destin, Florida. And it took a couple of weeks because she's a Washington, born and raised Washington girl. And uh, it was, you know, so hot and humid, very different than the West part of Washington. And after about two weeks of being there with me, she's okay. Yeah, no, I, I can adjust to this. I'm, I'm good. We can get stationed here. <laughs> it's fine. I was like, yep, yeah, that's the way I feel. Didn't quite work out that way, but it is a beautiful area, guys. If you've never been along the panhandle of Florida, along the Gulf Coast there, the white sand beaches are amazing. The water is crystal blue. I have swam with wild dolphins just swimming That's, in the bay. I take it for granted, but they're right out here. It's absolutely beautiful. It is America's best kept secret. In fact, this Gulf Coast from where you're talking mm -hmm. over near Destin back here towards the west, which is the last whistle stop here, Pensacola before Alabama, is America's best kept secret. The, the sands are... We call it the last bit of Caribbean oh, on American yeah. soil. Those sands are so white. Now, we did have the BP oil crisis a decade ago. And boy, when that hit, it, it, it stained some of the beaches from New Orleans area. And the currents pushed all that oil stain toward, toward Tampa, South Florida. And it, it's been a nightmare ever since in a sore spot with many of the folks around here. But it's recovered. It's renourished. Uh, somewhat and whatever is not it's hidden under the new sands so we don't see it so out of sight out of mind but it's still there we camped in foley alabama and just man that whole stretch is gorgeous so yeah. so gene i gotta ask what's your favorite ice cream chocolate uh peppermint chip with chocolate peppermint chip with chocolate what a surprise 
It's uh, I don't know what uh, Biden likes, but uh, peppermint chip with chocolate works for me. <laughs> oh, now, Gene, we're <laughs> what, definitely going to dig into. What's your favorite? Me, I my all. It's complicated, right? Because there's commercially available, and then there's privately made. Commercially available, Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey. Oh, it's I know of it. Yeah, it's ice cream cheesecakes. I like them, but so like it's sentimental for me growing up for like ice cream socials in the South where my parents were, my whole family's Texan except for me. And we were born and raised growing up in Southern churches with my dad being a minister. So we did a lot of ice cream socials and my mom, my grandmother always made banana ice cream, homemade banana ice cream. So when Ben and Jerry's made chunky monkey and made banana ice cream with chocolate and walnuts in it, it was like, (gasps) you win. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's wonderful yeah i uh, i know ice cream socials are were always very popular in my high school years too in fact that's where i met my wife she was in elementary school and high school with me we didn't get married till 10 years after high school and bumped into each other as a weird situation 10 years after high school and it was at a chamber of commerce function which was an ice cream social so it said oh boy some providence here some providential act things happening. Excellent. So Gene, we're definitely going to touch on a couple of things you said. We'll get into the news media later. So looking over your accomplishments, Cellular One, that that was a huge, like I'm old enough. I am very familiar with Cellular One. It was like, wow, the president at one point is Cellular One. And you got into the online payment system when it was still very early on and helped pioneer that technology. You've got a deep interest in personal flight aircraft, it looks like. Besides the one behind you, I was looking at your website and it looks like you are investing towards the companies that are making the more personal aircraft, which is very cool technology. I would love to see that as get to that point. I have some concerns only because people are bad enough on the ground. I'm terrified what they can do without being stuck on the ground. Yeah. The more idiots you put behind something, the more dangerous it becomes, right? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> but, you talked about the other technology. I didn't mention them. Is Verijet. Verijet is a privately held company of about 25, 30 investors. One of the founding investors serve on the board of directors. And one of our board members is Charles Lindbergh's grandson, Eric Lindbergh, who's up in this Vancouver area. And we have seven board members now from around the world. And we talked earlier about how technology is forcing all sorts of changes. Well, the old-fashioned days of the airline system have changed as well. This is the toy behind me, but the Verijet company I'm, I'm on the board with is, is the whole concept is short haul, basically less than 1,200 miles. It's where the airlines start losing money. These big metal buckets of gas-guzzling vehicles that are up there are burning an outrageous amount of uh, carbon into the atmosphere, along with uh, the overhead expense of two pilots. The Verijet system is a single pilot and a single engine. And the reason we get away with that is because we have a concept that the Garmin aircraft company, Garmin's the manufacturer of the airplane, they actually have what's called an auto land button. So if the pilot in the front seat drops dead, the passenger is trained prior to takeoff to hit the button right in the ceiling, and you don't want to accidentally hit that. But when you hit that button in the ceiling, the plane then 
takes control of itself through an artificial intelligence system, identifies all the available airports, starts to zigzag left and right around mountains and, and weather, and uh, picks the nearest, safest airport to go to and safely lands the plane itself all the way through to touchdown. We are the first uh, part 135 aircraft company to do this in the world as a commercial airline. And uh, we're up to about 15, 18 aircraft now. We plan to have over 100 aircraft on our fleet in the next 24 months. And so look for it. It's Verijet. And the whole concept is geared towards Uber. Can you imagine chartering the aircraft like you're using Uber on your phone that came to us eight to 10 years ago? became more popular, I should say, eight to 10 years ago. And uh, the same concept applies here. These are technologies and uh, innovations and disciplines that didn't exist, Brent, when you and I were probably a few years younger in high school and college. But the technology has morphed geometrically. Peter Diamandis has got a great book. It's entitled, The Future is Faster Than You Think. So if it took 10 years to go from one to 10 units, the next 10 years might be 10 to 70 units. The acceleration of things happening is happening so much faster than ever before. And with it comes responsibilities. The analogy on a different path is social media and how that acceleration of availability and, right, and the right to free speech has been either policed in a way that um, offends you and uh, your right, my right to free speech, or to the contrary, it allows some free speech that's quite offensive, and uh, both extremes are not acceptable. So in the speed of how we grow, including with aviation and technology, there must be the right parameters or controls in place to make sure we don't overstep. Now. That's actually a beautiful segue. Let me ask Eugene, a lot of people are put off by talking about politics, right? Because it surrounds our whole life. Used to, you heard about politics during the year before an election cycle. And that election cycle was all of one year before the election, but that was still relatively short. Now you've got people campaigning three years before an election and it's in the news all the time. We can't get away from it, but it's become a more open there's been goods and bads with that. It's become a more open com conversation. More people are getting engaged in that conversation and paying attention to what's being said. I actually am probably going to offend somebody, I'm sure, listening, but I'm actually a big fan of Mar Congressman Marjorie, Ta Marjorie Taylor Greene, mainly because she's organized a group to call for a formal vote for every possible bill. There you go. Because I had no idea until I was watching an interview with her that Congress was passing stuff with 30 or 40 people in the room by a show of hands left and right. And there's no official record on it. There has to be well, a call for a formal vote. So she's actually organized a group of congressmen to take turns sitting in the chamber, forcing a formal recorded vote for everything because she thinks that, Hey, congressmen should have to be accountable for what they're doing. And to do that, you have to know what they're doing. 
So I'm a huge fan of that because I think there's a lot of responsibility with getting involved with stuff. What is it about politics that makes you actually enjoy talking about it? It's funny you mentioned Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm a real fan of hers. And for the record, we haven't coached each other before this show began. <laughs> so, so I wasn't sure where it was going, but I want to thank you for bringing her up. It's the essence of what I've referred to as a democracy versus a democratic republic. And in a democratic republic, we are relying on other people to make certain decisions for us because we're not there to make all those decisions or be knowledgeable about all those decisions every day. The technologies here where you could sit home on your channel changer and your clicker at night, I guess, from six to seven o'clock and click yes and no on a bunch of stuff. And that's truly the vote of the people, isn't it? But we're down on an operating level voting on everything every day. What mate Marjorie Taylor Greene's talking about is the intention of what she's talking about is to begin to hold the lawmakers responsible for the integrity of these legislative acts that are coming out. Nancy Pelosi talks about a bill with 2,000, 3,000 pages in it, yeah. with a deadline for the next morning that most people, I don't know about you, but uh. I can't read 2,000 pages in 24 hours. I need a little extra time yeah. if I'm going to do it responsibly. And, and then to pass judgment or adjudicate the merits of maybe two to three dozen key issues in that bill that directly impact the citizens, you and me. Now, that's not right, and that's a flaw in the system, and Congresswoman Green is on it. She nails it when she gets down that path, and I commend her for it. It's a democratic republic. A true democracy is where we're all directly involved. Demos of the people, the Greek phrase. It, it allows each of us to have a stake every day. You're doing the podcast. I'm flying my plane. We got other things we'd like to do, too. So we put people in and say, hey, you make that decision for me. I'm going to vote for you to represent me, a democratic republic. And in that process, we find ourselves sometimes with a person who is not necessarily what elected official does exactly what you want them to do. 100% of the time. If you show me that person, you got something. I, I don't know. I, I got to learn from you. You're onto something. So what we do is we rely on people, hopefully, that have trended in the direction we think. And that's what the best, that's the best we can hope for in a democracy. Today, I'm concerned about us losing any uh, say at all. Today, we don't even have any input once they get through the gates of Congress. They seem to get absorbed in the cabal of their own world that is devoid of the district they came from. I used to be a county commissioner. I can speak to this firsthand. In my county, I had what was called precinct leader meetings. And three, four times a week, at six, seven in the morning, before folks got off to work, I had coffee with the commissioner. There'd be two to three people in a coffee shop one day. The next day, there'd be 35 to 50 people. The coffee shop owners loved us. We'd come in there and we'd drag a bunch of them. It got to be a routine. People knew, hey, I can't make it that three o'clock commissioner meeting he's got going. I'm working. So let me see him at seven in the morning and I'll, I'll get my two cents in. That was enough for most people. That was good because people had a direct contact 
with their elected official. And boy, was it tough because I know firsthand that you couldn't make 100% of the people happy 100% of the time. But it was respected. And it was, I don't know if I like that guy and what he's doing, but at least I can talk to him. Right. You made an effort. How many, you may know Congresswoman Green, but how many, how many people have that, that, that privilege the way you do to be able to pick up the phone and talk to her? And how does she talk to a million people in her district? How do you make that kind of impact on somebody? So it gets difficult in the Democratic Republic, but it's the best system on the earth. It's the most accountable system on the earth. We're off, we're a society of self-deprecation. We tend to chew up on each other. Just watch the six o'clock news. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, it's the best system out there because as bad as it is at times, we're still holding each other in balance, I think. Me- I don't know. Lately, I'm scratching my head and saying we got to reassess if justice is applying to everybody fairly. So before I talk politics about an individual, I'm talking about a structure that has to be politically correct and valid in its representation of the people. Okay. Let me stop you there for just one second, clear up a few things for all of our listeners. So in a particular example, when he was talking about a two or 3000 page bill, we're talking about the recent omnibus bill that yeah. the Democrats actually called like a two o'clock vote on two o'clock in the morning to get it through committee without any kind of, without anybody pushing back on it. They called a private committee meeting to get it through the committee without letting the other uh, side of the house, the other side of the committee come in and oppose it. They did not announce it. They only put it on their committee website and they literally passed this at two o'clock in the morning and then pushed it out to the full Congress at seven o'clock that morning and said, we're voting on this later today. It is over a 2000, it's close to 3000 page bill laced with all kinds of things. So that is that specific example for clear, point of clarification. I don't know Marjorie Taylor Greene. I saw a great interview with her on the Timcast IRL webs uh, podcast. They do. I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Poole's work. He is an independent journalist and yeah. they, they do excellent work. I've been very pleased. He gets a little dramatic every now and then, but he uh, does a really good job, I think, of trying to be as neutral and just report facts and news as to what they know and leave. He's very clear if he states an opinion versus what he is factually stating and reporting. And they had Congressman Green on for, I think, two or three interviews in a very short time period and let her share her piece. So I got to watch that interview. And that's where I caught that information. I don't actually know her. I would love to meet the woman. Uh, I think she's doing a heck of a job, but yeah. I'm also wanted to touch on how many people anymore do not understand. We don't live in a democracy. That's right. This is such a common misconception. I hear this in the school system. I hear this just water cooler talk. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a democratic Republic. Right. Since its inception, since the beautiful date in history, the United States of America is a democratic republic. And I think you're exactly right. I, I, there are several congressmen that I think are doing way better than other ones. 
but I don't, there, there's not a single one where I would say that they got everything. It's the overall, yeah, I didn't agree with this, but I think you're right on this and this. And that's the best yeah. you can hope for. Unfortunately, private interest will always have bigger pockets to try and control the politicians, which honestly, I, I'm all for. I, I, I have this radical idea. You would love this. Check this out. This is my radical idea. I think congressmen should go back to the original concept of congressmen where they meet, obviously they can't meet for two weeks anymore. The country's gotten too big for that. But I think Congress ought to be a three-month session and the congressmen are in their states working their businesses the rest of the time. And we pick them every year, anybody of eligible age, we pick them out of a hat or out of a machine, kind of a lotto. So we don't know who's going to represent us. We pick them. And we send our representatives to Washington for three months. We put on the, in the old thousand man dorms on an old base and let them live in the thousand man dorms at the chow hall without their normal technology for three months while they are shuttled back and forth to Congress to do their job. And then they go home and, yeah. and that's it. But they what get to think, live like our troops. What do you think troops. about term limits? Oh, I think that's so far past due. We're never going to get it because yeah. as long as congressmen can vote for their own, as long as they can separate themselves from us, but they can vote for their own raises. They can have their own separate insurance from everybody else. They can have their own separate rules. I don't think Congress should be able to have rules that don't apply to them. Yeah. That doesn't well, the represent problem, me. The problem is locally is a good example. As a county commissioner, I'm in a county of about 350,000 people. And when I was elected from one of the five districts, I represented not only that district, but the whole 350,000 people. But the people, the people, my point is that you had to represent the greater good of everybody, not just the select few. And that's where the problem occurred. And the folks who were my fellow commissioners wanted, they didn't want to touch term limits. I said, why not? I'm not... This isn't a career for me. You're in here four years, eight years maybe, but not 20. Because what you're doing is building your own nest egg. Guess what? We have also something in the county called the Sunshine Law in the state of Florida. So I am, I'll go to jail if I'm sitting in the coffee shop with a fellow commissioner and I have a, a conversation that goes like this. Hey, Jim, I'll tell you what, uh, Thursday night's county commission meeting, you give me a vote for yes for the sidewalk, and I'll support your road system on the other end of town. That's called a breach of the sunshine law because I'm negotiating in private on the greater good of the community. Now leapfrog ahead to the United States Congress. Have you not seen in the news lately these congressmen and women that are out there investing in stocks, in businesses? based on their decision in Congress that's just happened or about to happen, mm -hmm. and then queuing someone in the family to go buy 50000 or $50 million worth of the company's stock. Right before it's announced. Uh, look at who invested in pharma just before they put a law out that you could not sue seek recourse against a pharmaceutical company 
based on the success or failure of the vaccine. Is that not a predisposition of establishing value that benefits you personally? Of course it is, and it's wrong. And so with the United States Congress, there are several disciplines that need to be employed, imposed on Congress to more accurately, effectively represent us, term limits or no term limits. Can I suggest with you something else? Hmm. The 28th Amendment to the Constitution. I've brought it up with friends in the past. Okay, so the first 10 amendments is the Bill of Rights, and the 17 that follow take you up to 27 amendments. But I propose a 28th Amendment, and I call it the Citizenship Amendment. kind of ties into what you were talking about earlier. A cit- Let's define what a citizen is today. Now, when our forefathers who created this miraculous document that survived longer than anywhere else in the world, by the way, I don't think they had the vision of people moving about in electronic vehicles that are run by batteries or evitals that um, are now like little carriages in the sky taking us to point A to point B. They didn't know what the, the, the craft was behind me and couldn't even envision it. Our founding fathers had a definition of what a citizen was. Mm-hmm. I think we need to qualify it today. Let's define it again and make it more accurate. Let's define exactly what a citizen is, a natural citizen. If you're coming in from outside our borders, how do you become a citizen? And what training and education is needed to truly be aware of who George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, Madison, and the hundreds of other patriots that preceded us, that protected this democracy, that our children and grandchildren are, are, I'm not sure they're being taught. Oh my goodness. And what do we do at the border to create a wall before they come in so that you can come in equitably? My grandparents are Italian. And they, my grandfather left the regime of Mussolini over in Italy. He couldn't get to America fast enough, but he did it legally. Mm-hmm. And when he came into the country, his attitude was to my father, don't worry about teaching your grandson, me, about Italian. He's an American. You make sure he's a proud patriot. Son of a gun, that man was a Purple Heart recipient from World War I. He received it posthumously years later in life after he had passed away. But but he was so proud to be an American that carrying the, he called it the baggage. I won't use that word. He said the baggage of all my Italian predecessors. I don't want to burden my grandson with that. I want to be an American and I want to be able to read and write as well as he does. The man could barely speak. He couldn't write. English, but he could barely speak it and got through hard labors of life. It was his, her savings and his hard work that got me that airplane. And shame on me if I forget that. I actually forget a person to understand a person is to understand where they're coming from. To understand this nation is to understand where it's coming, where it came from. 
And no one listening or watching should forget that. If we don't understand where we came from, then go pack your bags with some of those liberal uh, folks in Hollywood and do what they didn't do and, and threaten to leave the country. Go, get out of here. But this is America, and you deserve it if you're patriotic and do your part and stop milking us dry. I'm actually, sorry, Brent, I got off on a tangent. Oh, you're fine, said, brother. You're doing absolutely fine. I'm sorry I said too much. Maybe. Oh, no, you did not. You're fine. <laughs> Trust me, you are just saying out loud what some of us are a little hesitant to put out there just from getting banned from YouTube. Hey, guys, if this one gets kicked off YouTube, I'm on Rumble, too. You know, it's there. It's going to be up. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean... Well, I'm not. That's, that's what we need Congress to do is to strengthen the laws on our media and social media to prevent what was just said from being kicked off anything. You know because what? If that gets that me kicked right off of free speech and your right of free speech, if that gets me or just this video kicked off YouTube, that's fine. It'll be on my website. It will be on rumble. I'll go to places where they appreciate it because you don't got to gag yourself. I'm a hundred percent with you on this. And Thank I think you, you're terrifyingly correct about the fact that it's, it's not being taught in schools. I have some friends who are naturalized citizens. They worked very hard to legally become citizens of the United States. And they love this country, but they have to learn more about our nation than we teach children in history anymore. That's so true. They have a better My understanding of our forefathers and where they came from and what went into building this nation than children are being taught in public schools. Absolutely correct. My grandfather was so proud to learn about the American history, to take night school, to speak English, and become a contributor to society, not a taker from society. Hey, there was one other part of that uh, 28th Amendment. Uh, we talked about citizenship. The other half of it is once you become a citizen, you have the greatest privilege in the world, the right to vote. That right to vote, and we talked about it earlier, but that right to vote has to be fair and balanced. The way you vote in Washington state has to be equal and proportionate to the way I vote here in Florida. It cannot be different. Now, I don't mind the other amendment to the Constitution where that says the states will manage the voting process at the state level. I think that's proper. But it's got to be equal. The way we vote for a president and vice president in, and the rules associated with that absentee ballots, vote by mail, all this crazy stuff, is causing so much disruption. And the rules in Washington State versus Connecticut versus California and Florida are different. That's not fair to any candidate who's putting his life on the line to run for the highest office in the land. There's got to be equity and balance. Sure, we have statehood, and the rules do vary state to state, not to mention the taxes, by the way. Mm, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but the vote... The, if we all have one thing in common. We're all voting for a president. You vote for a different governor than me. You do vote for a different congressman or woman than me, the city council, county commissioner, and so forth. But we have one thing in common. We all vote for the same president and vice president. The rule applying to that vote should be the same nationwide. And therefore, the voting entitlement and who votes and doesn't votes is also what I propose in my draft of the 28th Amendment 
to the Constitution, which I have given to my local congressmen and U.S. senators. Now, Gene, I've got a whole lot of listeners right now who are a little confused because this is not my normal show. (laughs) And they're going, okay, Brent, we come here to grow as men and to change as men and develop ourselves. You're talking politics, which you usually try and stay away from on the mic. Now, personal life, yeah, I, I talk politics nonstop, but I try and keep it off my channel most of the time because it's a turnoff for a lot of people. So there's a lot of people who right now who are a little confused about why we're talking politics. And so, guys, we're going to start getting into why specifically we're talking politics and why this matters to you, why you are critical at this juncture, and why it's critical for you to start talking politics, whether you like them or not. So we've been spending some time getting to know Gene, but we're going to move into why men should get involved with local politics if they want a better world for themselves, for their future generations, for their families, and for society at large. So that's what we're going to move into with this, guys. This is why we're talking politics. I wanted to get our feet wet. I wanted to get some time to get to know Gene and see where we're all at. In this part of the show, guys, we're going to talk about why you need to get involved. It is so important for you as a man to get involved at this point. Now, Gene, we were talking a little bit. We've touched on schools a little bit. We've talked on all kinds of things. We we didn't even get off on inflation or Ukraine, Russia or any of that yet. I think I, we're doing amazing. But, but one of the things we touched on was schools. And I know like our local school system, I live in a very small community. And our local school system is fighting. They're trying to get male volunteers to come into the schools, especially into the elementary ages, and sit and read our help with study hall and stuff like that to help add positive male influence and role models for all the kids because there's such a lack of that, even in our small community. Now, we go from there and we look at that And I actually just found out, I had talked to our school. We started homeschooling our children this year because Washington state has passed some educational laws for the entire state for some things I just don't believe are the school's place to be teaching my children. Some of the sex ed and sexual health, I I hate to use the term sexual health because that is not accurately what I would describe the material they are pushing out as. But it's my, my kids are young. I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old. <laughs> no, stranger danger. Yeah, that's fine. Teaching my children about masturbation, not fine. This is not okay. This is not your place. Right. And not something you need to be talking to my seven-year-old about ever. So we, we chose to move our kids out of school. And some people will have mixed opinions on that. Some people will be like, you can't change the system from outside the system. And other people will go, well, yeah, but you got to make that choice of, do you sacrifice your kids to save the system? There are a lot of things going on out that we actually, we're still on the school's mailing list. So we just saw a big release from the school board and there are parents getting torqued at the school board meetings because they are teaching critical race theory in our small little community. After our teachers, like I, our principal at our school lied to our face last year and said that was not part of the curriculum. No way, shape, or form. Yeah. And we had a pretty good relationship with this woman. I'm, I was appalled to find out that she was lying to us because we were very involved. My wife was the co-chair of the parent volunteer committee for the school. 
used to PTA. And I live in a community where actually white is the minority. Our town is 87% Hispanic. And so my kids have friends of every color. They have Hispanic friends. They have black friends. They have white friends. My kids don't see race. And this community, that's not something that's a big deal. We all live together. We have this small community. And so to find out that's been prevalent are showing up in our school system is, is horrifying to me. Absolutely horrifying to me. So you said you were a county commissioner. Yes, sir. Right? Tell me, you. I, I love the fact that you were meeting in a coffee shop. That That's amazing because I think local politicians should be available to their constituents as much as possible. But things like being involved with the school board and going to school board meetings, how important is that for men to get involved with? It's, it's important for parents to be involved in it. The notion that men have drifted away from some of their roles as, as a father, as a parent, a dutiful parent, is shameful where it exists in all venues, all types of social classes around our nation. It's absolutely in the wall that's put up early in life for a child to know his or her boundaries that can be most effectively taught by the parent. Dad has such a pervasive ability to create a good standard at home. Many problems exist in the family unit today because of the dysfunction from 30 to 50 years ago. I'll share with you something. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I next year will be 20 years I've been sober. Congratulations. Thank you. And I think back to why I drank in the first place. I used it as liquid novocaine to because I didn't want to face up to I didn't have the tools to face up to some of the problems that faced me. Before I point the finger at you and blame you for something, I'm reminded there's three, maybe four fingers pointing back at me. And so I better take my own inventory first and my own assessment first on my strengths and my weaknesses. And dad and mom in my life could have done a better job at helping me do that. Now, like a democracy, we're filled with flaws. Like the name, and this is what caught my eye and ear on your show, uh, Brent. It's called uh, the fallible man. The uh, we we are all fallible, and so is our democracy. And because we're looking at the grassroots from the bottom up, we are all working hard to figure it out. And so now, to your direct question, it applies in a narrow sense in education and the disciplines of our children over, and the disciplines over our children as it pertains to education. If we're gonna rely, and this is not politics now, politics to me is talking good or bad about the candidates, and I'll stay off that subject. But the government that the politician works within is the political structure, which is fair game for all of us to discuss openly. And as men, we need to step up, strap on a set of balls, and be leaders and not acquiesce 
to the whims of unproven disciplines that have hurt other people over the generations. If we're going to be a democracy, we all have to share and give and take. So at that, now to be specific, at that school board meeting, you, Mr. Parent, should have been aware of the fact that there was a curriculum committee and that you might want to get on that curriculum committee to share your good and bad points, your points about what is acceptable curriculum. And a teacher's discussion of transgenderism or homosexuality in the classroom is to me off limits. The student having the ability to consider changing sexual desires before they even become teens is off limits. And the position of a parent to step in uh, when a teacher calls him or her to correct any inconsistencies is not off limits. It should be protocol and part of the curriculum, part of the school board's parent-teacher group. We need to get back to that. And if we, the parent, don't like the way that student is being nurtured in the classroom, then that parent needs to take a tax credit and use that money or that allocation toward the tuition of a private school system that he should have the right to put his son or daughter into. And that, to me, Brent, is how you neutralize some of the perversion or extremism that's going on in our educate, public educational system now not to mention the skyrocketing costs of teachers who are not even teaching. I hope I didn't get anybody mad, but I think- I'm okay with stepping on toes in the show. I really am. It doesn't bother me. My podcast coming out actually tomorrow, as of this recording, what will be tomorrow is, <laughs> of all guests, I had a vegan on. I had a elderly woman. She's a grandmother. She calls herself a granny vegan to talk to men about cleaning up their health and their nutrition. And I don't agree with a lot of what she said. I'm a meat guy. I sat there and we had a really respectful, great conversation about the pros and cons because I think we've losing the art of having respectful congregations. That's a big conversations. I don't have to agree 100% with everything you say. You don't have to agree with everything I say. We can have a difference of opinion and still respect each other, treat each right. other with respect and, and we can still be friends. Yeah. I have friends yeah. that politically I differ with in, in a huge way. And in our house, we just, the two of us don't talk politics because that keeps our house civil when they're visiting. But I still love that person just because we don't agree. That didn't change anything. And that's a lost art these days is real yeah. conversation and respect. Yeah. Yeah. We take certain liberties with our families, don't we? And we think we can, instead of being persuasive and articulate in the world and in the public setting, we end up using our family as the punching bag to test our positions at times. And we shouldn't do that because it's hurtful. And I think, I think in generally to your point, I couldn't agree more. We, we need to be respected in the press. 
needs to be respectful of opinions, right? I'm not supporting any news network right now. I'm not going there. So I won't get that political. Mm -hmm. But it's clear that if the press is owned by a select few that are controlling their messaging, that's not free speech. And we have to take, we, we, the parents of our children, have to be sensitive now about what these our children are seeing and what they're hearing. Failure to defend the rights of other people may someday result in your rights not being defended. Oh, My absolutely. rights are not being defended. If, so I've got to, in one hand, I've got to give you the right to free speech. But in the other hand, I got to say, would you please use some common sense and balance it and temper it? There, it, 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 it just because I agree in one point does not mean I throw the other one out the window. And that's where we're going today. And that's what's scary. Oh, he, he believes in he believes in economic development and he doesn't want to uh, uh, support the environment. He must be a Trump supporter. <laughs> would, would you stop it? This is, it's ridiculous talk. And it sets up a wall of one person against the other. America was founded on the principles of constructive discourse and, and commentary and differences of opinion. Remember the old day? Remember my, I talked about my coffee shops in the morning. That's how our government started. They had meetings in the halls of churches, down at the local restaurants. That's where they gathered after hours after work to share opinions. But now you got Congress doing side deals. You've got individuals doing side deals with China and Ukraine at the expense of you and me. And now I'm wondering if our national security is protected when you have government officials self-indulging to their personal benefit at your expense and mine. That's where we're crossing the line now. Gene, I got to ask, most people are not familiar. We understand there's a president and a Congress and the lack of understanding of how our government works is a whole nother by the general generalized populace is a whole longer conversation because that's not being taught yeah. in school either. However, most people really have no idea how their local government and local setup works. What is the best way for men to start getting involved with their local government, their local politics around their communities? I think you eat the elephant one bite at a time. It's probably the best question, Brent, you've asked me today. All politics, all government started local. So learn your community. Give back to your community. Give back to your community in the church setting and be part of the church activity. But then in the same breath, get into the government, of, get into the local operation of your local government and become a contributor. Maybe it's a city councilman or a councilwoman. Maybe it's the mayor. Maybe it's the board of ed, as you mentioned earlier. I don't like what's being taught to my children. Well, run for office, damn it. Get on the board of education. And maybe you want to look at things more regionally that involve wetlands and uh, environmental and habitat, national defense, economic development on a broader based basis. I think you might want to talk about the United States Congress and understand the difference between government at the federal level, which starts at Congress, the presidents, and then the judiciary, the three legs of a federal government, 
or you met, don't, it's overreaching. Maybe you want to start at the state level where you have usually House of Representatives or state senators, not to be con confused with U.S. senators. And if that's too far reaching, start locally, as I first mentioned, with local city representation. They call them city councilmen, city selectmen, the local representatives in your own city. Some states are more uh, county-based government, and other states are more city-based government. Connecticut, for example, the counties have no meaning. They're just marks on a map, but there's 169 cities and towns in the state of Connecticut. Just as an example, government is based at the city and township level. And by the way, the taxes are high because they handle their educational system at the city and town level. On the other hand, as rent, the county assumes the role of education. You have school districts within the county in certain areas of the nation. And so the tax base comes out of a training at the county tax base as opposed to the local level. And now just imagine you're paying those taxes and you don't like the educational system. So you put the child into a local system, in, into a private school, which runs you between twenty and $60,000 more a year. Yeah. And they're not even, and they haven't even reached college yet. Uh, is that where we're heading? Talk about double taxation. That's an issue for a good person to start with. If, if, if you follow what you just mentioned, just focus on the educational system, get into it, and make sure before I decide to put my son or daughter in private school, maybe I can fix the public school system, which I'm, I'm paying into right now with my taxes. There's the challenge. There's the dynamic. And our democracy has always been based on a tension. It has a tension built into its operation. It's intended that we stress. It's got stress points for us to challenge each other every day. That's what makes it so unique. Autocratic, socialistic, Marxist, communist countries uh, and, and governments don't have that problem. Because some guy at the top's telling you the way it's going to be. And you don't have any say at all. If you and I want to retain control and have some say, then we, the dads, are, are fallible dads, are, are sinners, are weak people who have made mistakes in our life, have to step up and contribute because that's what the Democratic Republic implies in the governing documents of its operation. It's uh, interesting you're mentioning taxes and education. It's actually been a discussion with my wife and I recently. We're still paying taxes into the county and the state for education for a system that we decided was failing our children while we were homeschooling my children. My wife actually had to scale back. She does bookkeeping on the side. And she had to scale back when the dreaded Rona hit. I can't say that too loud on YouTube or they'll take the video down. When that hit and they sent all the kids home, my wife was actually in the process of expanding her business and had to pull that back to be home with our children during the school day. So she had to scale that down. So we took a loss there to be home with them. And then we went ahead and decided after this on again, off again, part days, making our children ma march around with mask on that it's like, nope, we're just gonna, they're not actually teaching them. My oldest daughter is, both my kids are really smart, but my oldest daughter has been in advanced classes since kindergarten because she just, she learns very quickly and she gets bored very easily. Uh, that's how I used to get in trouble with school. It wasn't that I couldn't do the schoolwork. It was boring to me because it was way below me. 
And yeah. so I was like, my wife and I looked at it and went, look, she's going to be just like you and end up getting in trouble because she's going to get bored real quick. So we're much happier with the education they're getting at the moment, but we're looking at, wow, we're, we're, st we're still paying taxes at the state yeah. county level on. Yeah. Yeah, so what credit did you get back on your taxes for having to expend effort, time, and money Nothing. on your own children? Yeah, Nothing. that's where I'm going. So if we want to address education in the that our founding fathers that created this democracy, this document, I'm certain did not have homeschooling in mind in the creation of this document. We created a government structure with all sorts of bureaucratic tentacles in it. And there's now got to be, the best government is the government that governs less government and governs best. And so individuals stepping up in our democracy must step up and do what you were doing. If you're gonna homeschool the kids, ask uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene if there's an amendment, if there's a statute she can bring forth, and I'll do the same with my congressman, to give credit to the citizens who are paying out of pocket for the constructive quality education of their own children. There's got to be a, a credit applied. I know some states actually have that, where if you are putting your kids in a private school or a homeschool environment, there are states that have that. My state does not. Unfortunately, Marjorie Taylor Greene is, I think, Georgia. I'm pretty, our congressmen suck. <laughs> Let me say that really loud. All of Washington state, anybody who doesn't live in Seattle thinks most of our congresspeople suck. Yeah, there's a process. I, we have to talk about that maybe some other time, but it's called uh, the election process. And as long as we believe the election process is still credible and uh, accurate, then we can exercise that opinion and make the changes necessary in November. One would argue, though, I hate to wait so long. I, I don't think our elections are credible in the state of Washington. Like a lot of states have run into, there is a cultural phenomenon that tends to happen, and that is all the liberals flock to city centers. And I hate using the term left or liberal because it doesn't accurately define anything anymore, just like conservative doesn't accurately define any group. Anymore. But the more liberal, democratic-leaning people tend to flock towards city centers. And mm -hmm. so in Washington state, three counties control the entire state outcome, period. It, it's literally Snohomish, King, and Pierce County control the entire election cycle. It doesn't matter. In fact, if you look at our most recent governor election, Four counties voted our governor in. The rest of the state voted for the other guy. And it, was that truly, uh, there's a term in politics called coternimus. It comes from the root that means one man, one vote. It implies that the way the votes are balanced through, through, through the electoral college process is balanced and fair. King County, I think that's Seattle, if I remember. That's Seattle, right. yeah. The, and so that would be, is that where the weight of the population is? It is. Those three counties are the weight of the population for the state. They're also yeah. a very small portion of the state of Washington. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so in your election process for the president, the electoral college weighs the number of, of candidates coming out of those three counties. And, and so it, it means that even though you have more square miles, you have less voters. Right. And that's happening, I think, in every major state. I know uh, my brother lives in Colorado. That's an issue down there. 
in Washington, it's those three counties. And occasionally there's uh, Spokane is on the far side of the state from Seattle. Right. It goes back and forth as to how it votes. And then there's the Tri-Cities in the South. But those three counties, Pierce, Nahomish, and King, it, the rest of the state can vote against it. There is so uh, much population and that section of the state that it just wipes the state. Interesting. I know Oregon's the same way. 80% of the state of Oregon wants to separate from the northwest portion of the state where Portland is. They're, they've been trying for years to actually separate off and become a separate state because yeah, Portland some of that. Yeah. decides the entire vote. So, Gene? In an earlier point in time, there was a confederacy of the whole south of the United States that wanted to do the same. And through a lot of back and forth, let's put aside our differences and try to find out what we can do in common. If you want me, since you're the way, the only way you're going to make me happy is I'm Rhode Island population, less than 2 million people, 3 million people. You got two United States senators, Florida, 30 million people, two United States senators, Washington state. How many people? two United States senators, the same, there has to be some sort of give and take to hold that democracy together because of the propensity of interests aligning sometimes in a direction you and I don't like. Well, so it, I, it's I, one of those head scratchers. I suggested to uh, some colleagues of mine one day when we were discussing politics that we should put together an electoral college for the state of Washington and every county should have two votes, period regardless of population, because those of us who don't want to live in the city shouldn't be penalized because we like to have some land or not live in the middle of the city. I get it. I have friends who are, are city people and they love living in cities. That's hell yeah. on earth. What's scary so. is because of the technology being what it is today, Brent, mm -hmm. the vote electronically can happen quickly. I'm not in favor of mail-in ballots and all the, uh, the fraud associated with that, but an electronic voting process, with, if we're doing it with payments online, two-step authentication, cryptic, cryptically protected processes when we're spending money, we can, if we can do it for money, why can't we do it for a vote? You would think. Now, if we do just that means that your vote being out in the country with a 50 square miles before you see the next neighbor is just as important as the guy in Seattle. It, it's in balance. It's in parity. And that it's the one man, one vote concept. And it can be done if addressed through my 28th Amendment on voting on, on the protection of the vote. And that was so I, I'm sorry to steer it back. <laughs> there, citizenship here, voting rights here. It can be done electronically to address it in the current era. But um you got to keep sticky hands out of the middle of it. Gene, what do you the one thing you want our listeners to take away from this conversation? America is the best invention any forefathers have ever come up with. There's a lot of reason to feel frustrated right now, but that has more to do with bad behavior of individuals than it does the intention of the democratic process the Democrat, the democratic structure. And it starts with the notion that if we fail to defend the rights of other people, someday your rights and my rights may not be defended. 
That would be my parting thought, Brent, and that we put down our anger and resentments and reach out harder and look for what we have in common, not what divides us, but what we have in common. There's a God upstairs who I think is watching over us, who's ultimately going to drive this ship. But until I get face to face with him someday, I'd like to believe that what we can do together was given to us by him and that we're smart enough to know the difference and work well together to promote our democracy that binds us and put aside that which divides us. Now, Gene, you have this lovely website that we had up earlier and I'll put it back up. GeneValentino.com. Is this the best place to connect with you to find out more about what you're talking about, what's going on and get some more of your insights? Or- that would be wonderful. Thank you for putting that up www.genevalentino.com. It was put together by the gentleman who introduced you and me, David Pasqualoni, owner of and founder of his own Remarkable People podcast. And it was through David both of us met. And for that, I'm most grateful. And I want to thank David as well for this. So Remarkable People podcast uh, gets you to Brent Dolan. And by the way, I got to say, talk about what divides us we have in common. I'm losing hair in the center. <laughs> You're growing hair in the center. How is it you got something going down the middle and I got a, I got something here I'm trying to cover? I actually get teased a lot by guys who uh, are bald, not entirely by choice. They'd rather be bald than thinning. I, I have some friends give me a hard time. They're like, wait a minute, you shave that off? Why do you? I'm, I'm working on keeping it. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I'm blessed with hair. My my well, children I, actually pick up this hairstyle. I want to become part of the Dolan tribe. That's <laughs> <what>. <laughs> that can definitely be a thing. We're definitely gonna have to keep in touch. Gene, other than your website, what, and I know you already told me, right? The next stop is you're going to get off this podcast and you're going to go fly in your plane. What's next for Gene Valentino? I'd like to continue serving my community for the, what's left in my years. Uh, uh, I'm 68 years of age and I'd like to I'd like to serve my community. I don't know how that reveals itself, but today I'd like to just continue to identify the good thing and things in people, contribute to the community, and point out the wrongdoers. And uh, that's what I do on GeneValentino.com. We have a, a uh, David Pasqualone, my producer, has helped me produce the uh, Grassroots Truthcast. That's part of in the news on our website. And the Grassroots Truthcast has a 15-minute radio podcast every uh, Friday morning at 7.15 a.m. We do it for 15 minutes, and then it's posted to the website, and it's there for your viewing. So like your scroll, different interviews, Brent, mine are on there as well. Excellent. Excellent. We will put links, guys, to all of Gene's connections in the show notes, in the description of the video if you're watching on YouTube. Guys, we will make sure that you can find Gene. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today and share some wisdom and knowledge with us. Guys, as always, be better tomorrow because of what you do today. And we'll see you on the next one. This has been the Fallible Man Podcast. Your home for everything man, husband, and father. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a show. Head over to www.thefallibleman.com for more content and get your own Fallible Man gear.